all glad to see everyone here thankful for the promise that he does live and uh this morning uh, a little nervous um usually i've just got a few verses to preach on but uh today will be a little bit different and i'll share that with you in just a moment so i covet your prayers this morning um heard at a funeral this week the preacher said and i've heard it said many times it never struck me like this uh they're talking about the individual that passed away, and the preacher said, this person preached their funeral with their life. It's not really any more I can say, not any more that I can expound upon it and tell you that the only way to heaven is Jesus. And I uh, found a lot of truth there and considered that our Savior preached his funeral in his life. The record of his life is what was the testimony of who he was. But even greater more, the fact that he got up and arose and was resurrected from the grave, that, that, that's the true uh, <laughs> preaching of the life of Jesus, is the fact that he had the power to get up from the grave. So uh, all I've got this morning is that record, this book right here. I don't know where I'm going. I, we may read this scripture and be done. I don't know. But uh, I'm just reading this. I'm going to read the chapter to you if the Lord allows me. Um, so it's a lot of reading. So I'm going to need your prayers. I'm going to need your help. Um, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter number 27 this morning. The record of our Savior. This is where our discipleship series this year has been leading to, is uh, understanding the simple things, the, the simple uh, truths of God's Word. But we know that um, all of Scripture, at the center of all of Scripture, is Christ. And every bit of it. He's the inspiration for it all. He's the reason for it all. He's the beginning of it all and the end of it all. He is this Word right here in front of us. And so we know that to be true, and so as we get where we're going and we finally get to studying our Savior, I want to look at his life beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 27. The Bible says, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him unto Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they say, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, they, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Verse 11, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Let us pray. God, we love you. 
Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. We thank you for this word and your son Jesus. We thank you for sending him to come and be the propitiation for our sins. God to come as, uh, as God made flesh to live uh, an earthly life just as us. God, a life that we live just, just the same, tempted in every way, but God, a life that was perfect, a life laid down upon the cross of Calvary, a life and blood worthy to be able to wash our sins away. God, we love you. We pray for this word. I pray for direction this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to continue on in this chapter here in a few moments, but I want to just stop at a few different points of this uh, record of, of Christ and his uh, trial and death and resurrection. As we celebrate this Easter this morning, we know that um, there's a lot of things that uh, this world will do to monetize about anything. And uh, we know that Easter is one of the biggest monetized things out there. Uh, we know that it comes Easter time and it's Easter bunnies and, and Easter eggs and candy and everything, and I enjoy that. But I'm afraid that what gets forgotten a lot is the lamb. Uh, the true picture uh, at Easter, the true example at Easter is the lamb. This lamb came, here he is, Jesus. It says, verse 11, and Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And, the Je and Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, and when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. The thing about that lamb, and it's recorded in Isaiah 53, this is prophecy fulfilled, is he is coming like a lamb to the slaughter. That lamb doesn't say anything. That lamb doesn't complain. That lamb is quiet. That lamb is meek. That lamb is lowly. That lamb is humble. You know, and with the lamb, uh, typically, they don't, they don't really realize what was going on, but this lamb did. He knew what was about to happen to him. He knew what was about to take place. And I'm afraid that we have replaced the lamb with something to make money off of. We've got to remember that it was this lamb that came and he didn't say a word. He was being accused of things that uh, he didn't do. He was being accused of things that he, didn't even he wouldn't have imagined doing. Uh, he, he was uh, accused of being a blasphemer when he was God. Uh, they accused him of blaspheming himself. Um, they accuse him of all kinds of, of many things, but the reality is, is he, he answered nothing. There was no reason the, 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 to, to answer anything. The spirit of the people had turned against him, and he knew that it was his appointed time to lay down his life. And so like a lamb, he comes to the slaughter, and that, as that prophecy is fulfilled, then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not, not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. I'm going to tell you something. If I was facing what I knew was going to be a death in this day, it wasn't uh, any kind of uh, quick death in this day. It was, it was, it was vile. It was, it was messed up. It was gruesome and cruel death that he would face. I tell you what, I'd have been uh, probably doing everything in my power to try to get my way out of it. But he knew that his role as that lamb uh, being laid down to be slaughtered for us, he knew that his role was to be quiet. He knew that his role was to, to, stay, uh, to stay quiet. And, and he didn't defend himself. He didn't say anything because he knew that's what it would take to be able to save you and be able to save me. What a beautiful thing that is, is that lamb chose to be quiet on our behalf. He had the ability to do anything he wanted. But he knew that it took himself to, to just lay himself humbly down for us. And you see that he's, of course, dealing with, with flesh, with a human, because Pilate, he, he's done, he doesn't understand. Why would this man not defend himself? I'd have probably tried to find everything in the book. 
I'd have tried to find every good deed I've ever done to try to defend myself. And you know, in a sense, it's kind of the way that we are in our lives when we uh, face judgment or we face some kind of uh, uh, a punishment in our life. We, we want to find every excuse we can to get out of it. But that wasn't this lamb. That wasn't this lamb. Going on into verse 15, it says, Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had been a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Now, this is the point in time that, of course, Jesus, it, it kind of solidifies the fact that he will face some, court, some sort of punishment. Uh, and the crowd eventually, uh, they, their, their idea is death for Jesus, and we'll see that in just a few moments. But we know that this was the point in time that this crowd had truly changed their, their tune. And these chief, the chief priests and the elders had convinced that multitude and that crowd to try to persecute Jesus. Uh, they hated him because he was truth, and he was light, and he went against their ways. He went against all this stuff that they thought they knew about the world. They went against everything that they believed about the law and everything they tried to follow and everything they tried to say. He went against it because he offered an opportunity not only just to uh, the Jews, but he offered uh, an opportunity to you and me and, and the Gentiles and those around him that were not part of the different families and the different groups and the different crowd. He offers an opportunity for anyone to be saved, for anyone to know God. And it goes against their religious beliefs. It goes against what they believe on the inside. And would you not say in this world today, we are not see, I, I believe we're seeing this, the same similar thing over, is that the world wants to sacrifice God. The world wants to trade God in for some, uh, for some sinner. The world wants to trade the Lord in and just take the world, take the world and enjoy it and relish in it. And so we see two things from this, uh, this, this multitude, I believe. There's two things, this event mirrors two truths that we see today. We see the truth that the willingness of the world to sacrifice Jesus for a sinner. There is a willingness in the world to sacrifice Jesus for a sinner. This world will give up this book. This world will give up the truth. This world will give up Jesus. That This truth will give up God, church, you name it. They will give it up to save them all, their own enjoyment upon this earth. They will sacrifice every bit of it just to live, live a good life in their mind on this earth. That's one of the things that this event mirrors to me. But the other thing that it mirrors to me is the willingness of Jesus to sacrifice himself for a sinner. In essence, you and I are like Barabbas. In a sense, we are like him. In the fact that we deserve punishment, we deserve death, we deserve a cruel end to our lives. We're pitiful people if we're honest. We're not worth anything if we tell the truth. But in reality, Jesus took our place. In reality, Jesus, he was the one that would face the punishment. He's the one that faced the death. He's the one that faced the pain that you and I should have faced if you're saved today. If, you, if you're saved and you know that in your heart, that's a beautiful thing. We ought to remember that. 
The fact that he traded places with us. And he's still willing to do it today. He'd do it again. He'd do it again. Ten times over, hundred times over. But thankfully he had the power to do it once. And it lasts forever and ever. It goes on and it says, 22, it says, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. You know, that's a criminal's death. That's a death reserved for someone that legitimately does something wrong. That's a death reserved for someone that the public will see die. That the public will watch and, and realize that this person, I mean, essentially, you're just you're, you're disrespecting that person by, by killing them that way. In this society. That was bad judgment. But they were out for blood and they wanted to see him crucified. And verse 23, and the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out more saying, let him be crucified. Even Pilate had his doubts about it. <laughs> That's an amazing thing there. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands for the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. You realize that by not accepting Christ, the blood shed is upon your hands? That's a scary thing to think about. If you deny Christ, you're, you're leaving him hanging on the cross. You're nailing him to the cross. That's a, that's a sad thing. What that means is eternal damnation. That's that's a that's a eternity in hell right there. The reality is. That's the reality. Without that blood, that blood is on your hands. But thankfully, he can wash it off. He can clear you of it. And all the other blood and other mess you've got yourself covered in, he can wash it all away. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had... Scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Continues on and it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered into him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. He is scorned and he's beaten here by these soldiers in the most gruesome fashion the world has ever seen. To the point he didn't even look like a human being. Couldn't even recognize what he looked like. I can't imagine that in my mind. You know, to consider that it's our sin that got him in this position. It's our nature that caused him to have to do this. That's a humbling thing for me. I hope it is for you. The fact that just who I am by nature is what took Jesus to the cross. That's a humbling thing. Went to the point, and, and as they strip him, there's nothing more 
and, and even as we see back in the Garden of Eden, once Adam and, Adam and Eve had uh, came to the knowledge of their sinful flesh and, and unfortunately fell into sin, um, they, the first thing that they realized about themselves was their nakedness. That has become a humiliating thing over the years and starting to go away, I'm afraid, but nakedness has become, or, or nakedness was a humiliating thing. And they stripped him down. Someone that reserves himself or says that they're a king, you, you, no one has the right to do that. But yet in this case they did. They stripped him down and put on him a scarlet robe, in essence to make fun of him and to mock him. Here's your robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. I can't even fathom the kind of ignorance that it takes. I mean, it's just lost, lost sinful flesh to do that kind of thing. It amazes me. Saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him and they took the robe off of him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to, to crucify him. This is how much they hated him. How much they hated what he, what he spoke and the things that he says. This is the type of world that we live in. And, and I, I say it all the time, but you know, we talk about the good old days. But you go back thousands of years and there were just wickedness, evil, vile flesh throughout history. That's all it's ever really been. How amazing it is that someone, that our, our Savior, that Lamb, goes and He does that for us. He didn't deserve that death. Lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way that you have ever been tempted in and every way that I've ever been tempted in. But He overcame it. So here He is. He's having to face this affliction and He felt it. He felt it. Say, so, well, He was God. Yeah, but He was God made flesh. He had the same skin and bones just like you and me. He felt the pain. He felt the agony. Not only to that, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be emotional. It's just a reality of how severe this situation was. They take him in just a few short verses and they take that heap of flesh and they nail it to a cross. How painful. How gruesome. 32, it said, verse 32, and they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon, my name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a, the play, a place of a skull, the creator of the world, here he is. He's coming to this place. And you know, you have, there's different, um, there's different names for places you may not want to go around, places you don't want to go to. There's a place up, start up Shelton Laurel, Copper Snake Holler or Copper Snake Road or something or Something like that. Somebody probably saw a snake there. I don't know. You go up where over where I live, and there's different roads and things. You know, Bear Creek and Turkey Creek. That's there. There's that's an example of what was seen there. What happened there? That's why how they name things. Well, how do you think Laurel got its name? This place was called Golgotha, place of a skull. You know what was there? You know what marked that place? It was death. Death marked that place. That's where they took him. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he tasted thereof, he would not drink. I've read reports about this and history about this, and that's supposed to ease the pain and, and, and take the body and at least give it a little bit of relief and 
And uh, even some reports I've read that uh, supposedly it would help someone kind of die faster when that gets into your body. It helps helps your body, whatever, whatever. I don't know, but he wouldn't take it. He knew that he had to suffer all of that affliction. He had to suffer all that pain continually for us. Verse 35, and it says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. What, a, what blows my mind is the fact that these people had been told that the true Savior, the true Redeemer, the true Messiah, he would, be, uh, he would die at the hands of these people. And they were told it, it, through prophecy, number one, that he would come like a lamb. He wouldn't have any comeliness. He wouldn't have anything that you look at and think, man, that's, that's the Savior of the world. That's the Messiah. They were told that. They were told that uh, they would part his garments and they would cast lots for them. But yet here they are doing it. It's a matter of prophecy needing to be fulfilled. But nonetheless, I guess looking at it thousands of years later, I guess I can have a, a different viewpoint than they may have. But it's amazing how intentful this prophecy is fulfilled. Yeah. It goes on in verse 36. And, it's, and sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head the accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reveled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou, art, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land, and, and unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, now... I'm going to, we're going to stop here for just a second because I was looking back. It was only one, uh, there's only one time before in this scripture, back in verse 11, where Jesus actually speaks. The only time you'll find uh, prior to this scripture, red letters in your, uh, in your Bible, is back when he was standing before Pilate, back in verse 11. He continues as the lamb. Even as he is this close to death, he's continuing as the lamb. And he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, the man, this man calleth for Elijah. And straightway, one of, the, them, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let, be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when, ha, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost there he was this is the absolute center and climax of all of, of human history the entire history of our universe the history of our world everything this is the center of it all here and over the next few days after this in this record in the scripture he died. 
There he was. And I imagine what that must have been like. And we'll see in just a moment some things that happened that solidify who he was. But I think about those chief priests and the elders and all these people standing there watching him die. And there he is. He gives, it, he gives up the ghost and he dies. And they probably thought, it's done. We know that I'm sure Satan reveled a little bit in that. But thankfully, thankfully the blood that flowed in his veins is not like ours. We'll all come to a point if we're not raptured out of here where we'll die. And at that point when your heart stops beating and God takes you home, you're done. You are done. That's all she wrote, as some would say. But he dies and he gives up the ghost and it says in verse 51, And behold, the veil of temple of the temple was rent in twain. There's more prophecy being fulfilled. <laughs> From the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared to, unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earth quake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. There was evidence in his death. People saw this. I don't know about you, but, you know, we see old ain't so-and-so walking down the street. She'd been dead for 20 years. There's something, there's something going on. There's something real happening. I think about the world, the earthquaking and the, 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 how the veil of the temple is, is torn. And how prophecy is continuing to be fulfilled. Jesus hadn't even been resurrected yet. He had just died. But yet his power through who he was, the son of God, God made man, the savior of the world, that power, it shows itself. Think about that centurion. Those that were closest to him when he died. To realize and to say, man, this was the son of God. This was truth. This is real. He is who he says he was. And many women were there beholding afar off with which followed Jesus from Galilee ministering unto him. Among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. Which the even was come. There came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph whom also himself was Jesus' disciple. Here's more prophecy being, being fulfilled. It was told that Jesus would need to be buried. He would be buried in a borrowed tomb. He didn't need a permanent one. He just needed to borrow one. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body of the delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out, out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that, that that deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the, until the third day lest his disciples come by night and steal him away from the dead, so that so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, 
ye have a watch, go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Verse 28, we're almost done. I'm about wore out from reading. Verse 28, or chapter 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it, be, as it began to dawn the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There, say, there shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto him, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. As we wrap up here, it's the beauty of this whole story that's being told. And that's why, to me, I just I felt led to just read the whole scripture. Read the whole thing. Let, let the book tell the story. Let the book tell the truth, really. It's not just a story, it's the truth. This is the center of all, all mankind. Center of all of our history. Center of the future. It all goes back to these few days. The fact that Christ died upon the cross that he had the power to get up and walk out of the grave. They say even today, over in Israel, there's a place you can visit where the tomb, where they believe the tomb was. And it's empty. And above the door it says, he is not here for he is risen. I, I don't know. I mean, it may, may or may not be the true place. But if you go find it, I guarantee you, there ain't anything in there. I guarantee you with everything in my being, everything, sure. that you could search this entire world, every inch of every speck of dust on this entire earth, you will never find the remains of the man called Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> He's alive and it's as real today as it was all those years ago. Amen. And as he tells them there in verse, verse 10, he says, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. He ascended. He went back to heaven. He left his spirit here to bear record of who he is and who he was. And as I'd ask someone to come to the piano this morning, just take a few moments. I'd like to think about this with you. I'll be honest with you, I hadn't read that whole story in a while. Maybe bits and pieces here and there, but to consider all of that record of what happened. I ask you, heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you this morning, if you will, just consider, is it real to me? Do I know and believe 
with everything in me that he is who he says he is. He came like a lamb. Even the historians will tell you that's true. He died a gruesome death. Even the historians will tell you that's true. But i tell you where people have trouble believing is the fact that he got up and he walked out of the grave. But I'm telling you, when you feel that and you believe that in your heart, you will be able to unlock a relationship like you have never seen. You will be able to understand the reality of a man being able to have enough power through who he is in God to be able to, to overcome death, hell, and the grave and offer eternal salvation to you. And he says, we don't understand it. And I know that the, those, those disciples and people that met him on the road, they probably didn't understand it. But they believed it. They could see him. We might not be able to see him physically, but like I said, he left that spirit here for us. We can touch that. We can know that. And he says, be not afraid. I'd be scared to death if I saw someone that died a few days ago. But you know what? It was all part of his plan. And I wonder if you, in your life, in your heart, in your spirit, pray that you're 100% sure that you believe this. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't waste my time trying to tell it to you. But when you feel it and you know, like I said, it unlocks a relationship you can't even, can't even fathom.